Friday lunchtime lectures at the Open Data Institute. We are a third of the ABI tech team there are six of us in total. Um, and we started just after the main, just after the initial uh, formation of the ABI in January. And across teams, a mixture of skills. So we've got uh, data scientists, we've got a statistician, uh, we've got public data expert, uh, DevOps, Sam. Um, and we're here to build tools for open data. We're here to show best practice about what to do with data and how to go about publishing it. But also we're, we make it part of our mission to show the sort of open culture um, through how we actually work. So when we all turned up, we all sat down in the room and we thought, right, let's have a discussion and get to know each other and write down some things that we believe in. And we came up with this great big list of stuff, good words like transparency and openness and innovative, challenging puns, um, things like that. Um, and then we thought, right, well, what does that mean about how we actually want to work? Because we're a new team and we're deciding how we want to do things. So threw all this around coming up with ideas like open by being open by default, um, you know, representing the ABI, working in uh, good, agile ways, things like code reviews, and a real mixture of different, uh, different things that we kind of wanted to, to be as a team. Um, and we boiled that down into a few principles that we try and work to. First is to be open by default, to uh, encourage public engagement in what we do, to work with the community, and to do that, we do a lot of our planning in the open. Um, we encourage contribution in terms of comments, forks, contributions from outside the team. Um, because the idea is that there are more good ideas in the world than there are here in the ABI, within our team. Uh, we want to borrow mercilessly from other people, so we want to reuse wherever we can. So there's no point reinventing the wheel. Um, we need to be focusing our efforts into new areas, sort of advancing the state of the art. So we need to build on top of what people have done. And importantly in that is that we want to be contributing back as far as possible to show appreciation for these things that people have built that we rely upon. We want to be continually experimenting and learning, not only with uh, the code that we write, but with the way that we write it. So trying out new tools all the time, new ways of working, and reflecting continuously on what works and what doesn't, which is a very incredibly important part of that agile process. We adapt whatever we use to suit us, or if we can't, then we move on. And, and so we're always improving our the way that we work as well as what we actually do. And we want to share everything. So we're here to not make things, but to help other people learn about data, about the, the practices so we need to be documenting and discussing our experiences, creating reusable things that other people can pick up, and using those things, which is uh, known as eating your own dog food in the parlance, um, and sharing all our learning to help other people. So that's, that's kind of the, it's a very uh, outbound kind of approach. And we need to be ourselves. We're all individuals, except for Sam. Thank you. <laughs> And so we work as a team, 
But we're part of a larger community, so we're we're not a team that's sort of closed off and has a single voice of this is the voice of the API technical mix or of the API in general. We're we're an open team that engages with the community on an individual basis, which is very very important because we have this common purpose that we're working towards with the wider community. So we have our own opinions, which is which is quite nice in a, within an organisation. Um, it comes down to a few practicalities. We take a very agile approach. Um, we use wherever possible, well, wherever possible, we use open tilts. We, there aren't any that are not. Um, we communicate openly and we collaborate openly. So, so yes, open tools. We have the most amazing toy box. We like Git. We are big fans of Git. It's, this was a tweet from me earlier this year. I realized I don't know how anybody ever did anything before we had GitHub. It's just changed everything we do. Uh, right, we use Git. Does everybody here know what version control is? We're going to. So, right. Uh, if you don't know, it's uh, imagine, uh, imagine, duck. imagine <laughs> Google Documents, where you can all share and collaborate and the versions are retained. And uh, we can all work on the same thing together. This, that, that's like what we use. GitHub is like that for our code. Uh, so yeah, um, that I've explained what I was going to say. Git is a version control system, a bit like uh, Google Docs. It's a massive improvement. We used to use things like Subversion, which were horrible. Git is just, a, you know, an amazing uh, weapon. GitHub. This is has changed everything we do. Uh, for example, I was working on Good Friday this year, I was sat at home collaborating with a guy in Brazil, fixing up some tools, I never met this guy, purely using GitHub. It's amazing. So for us, as a distributed team, uh, it allows us to be extremely productive. This is our GitHub page, some of our projects here. Remarkably, seeing we've been going for six months, we have 82 repositories. Not all of them are useful, but uh, this is some of the more heavily traffic ones. Uh, but the one thing that GitHub does that's really changed the way we work, and the thing that we really love, is the pull requests. This, if you're interested in this, I recommend, this is a link to a presentation by a guy who works at uh, GitHub, called Zach Coleman. It's brilliant. And the, what the pull request does is, take some code, James has some code. I take a copy of that code, make some improvements, enhancements, some changes. Uh, with fully tested, publish that, and then say to James, hi James, would you like to make use of this code please? And this will happen, it's, GitHub makes it extremely easy to do. Um, and this, this is what GitHub actually do themselves, they're calling it GitHub Flow now. Um, the thing is that we have very short-lived uh, branches. You make tiny branches, tiny changes, and merge them back. Everything goes back into the tree. Because it's very easy with other systems to have very long branches, uh, and that gets way out of step with this, and merging it back becomes extremely painful. Uh, this is a theme that we shall return to later. So, here's an example of a pull request. Here you can see James has opened a, this is some of James' code. James has opened a pull request. It's a what? Okay. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> it shows here, this is the file that James has changed in this uh, particular commit, with his descriptions. This is what's actually changed. This is extremely powerful. You can see exactly what the, the change of the code. But the thing about the pull request is not just, here's my code, we're done. It's a way to facilitate discussion around the code. 
it's usually the case that the first time we make a commit, we open a pull request, it starts a discussion. Uh, you can see halfway down here, James has this comment, further changes been made, more discussion. It's kind of like a comment thread, but without the yelling and, and horror. <laughs> <laughs> Some, most of the time. And then, at the end, we're happy with this, all the tests work, the pull request is merged, and this is the last place any humans get their hands on our code. But we'll come back to that later. Sure. So one of the other main things in our agile tool set, I suppose, um, is the way that we write our tests. So we use an approach called behavior-driven development, um, which is a, a sort of refined version of uh, test-driven development. And the idea is that before you write the code, you write down uh, what behavior you want the system to have. Um, not all of it, not the whole thing, sort of small parts. And those behaviors are written with the people who actually want the code, the, the stakeholders who actually want the results of what you're doing. And the idea is that you clearly express that desired behavior, and then you build your code to match. And we use, we're a, a Ruby and Rails shop, mostly. Um, a few other bits sprinkled in, but we use a lot of this. This is a, a thing called Cucumber. Those of you who don't know it, this is a description of a scenario that our system is going to fulfill. So, a bit of background up there as to why we're doing it. Um, here is some initial conditions. There's an invoice on this date, or there's an invoice due on this date, and my name is this. And then, given that I uh, book a ticket, when this bit of code runs, then the invoice gets raised. Um, and that's all written in pretty understandable language. That's it looks kind of it's pretty much English. And those are written and fed back to the uh, to the stakeholder in this case, Catherine, who's one of yours. Yeah. Um, and she can actually say, yes, that's okay, that yeah, that's what it should do. Um, which is great. The the, the Great thing about this is this is actually also, as well as being English, this is also gets automatically turned into executable code. So there's a very nice system underneath that takes that, turns it into uh, set up for tests and uh, running things, and then actually checking that the results are correct. It's extremely powerful, um, which is great. We obviously going and poking into the files for these things. It's a bit awkward if you are Catherine who wants to check what the hell the system is supposed to be doing. Um, so we publish all those uh, scenarios with this system called Relish. Uh, so anyone can actually go and look uh, at any time at uh, what the system is supposed to be doing. Uh, I have a handover and I've forgotten it. So that's okay. This is the good stuff. This is where it gets interesting for me. <laughs> Continuous deployment. This has been, I've been doing this a long time, since I've been in ops. Continuous deployment is some holy grail but it's always, I've always gone into places where it's been, processes are in place and it's really scary. Taking, putting everything that you have into the hands of robots is terrifying. Here, we're extremely fortunate we started from scratch. So we baked this in right from the start. So, we have some tools here. Jenkins, a continuous integration robot. Uh, it takes the code from GitHub every time someone makes a commit on a branch. The Jenkins knows, checks out the code, runs a test. You can see here all the balls are green, everything's passing, this sometimes happens. <laughs> but what's also cool is this can now hook into GitHub. So where we discussed previously about uh, pull requests and merges, our Jenkins now says this is green, this is okay to merge, all the tests are passed. 
that's a, that's extremely powerful. Uh, previously, the, the way he set up Jenkins initially was a little bit Heath Robinson. We recently discovered a lovely tool for make, managing this stuff. Now we have a robot to control the Jenkins robot. It knows where our code is. It knows when changes are made. It pulls the code. It runs a test. It can push. It can make tags. It just can decide which code goes where. Uh, and it can publish things around documentation and so on. Uh, it's at the moment. This is kind of a work in progress. Everything we do is a work in progress. It's going to do more stuff in the future, uh, tying into some of the other robots. Uh, but this is a lovely thing. So, there's a cow. Jenkins tells us that the code is good. We need to actually get this out now somewhere where you can all see it. So, in the old days, we would actually uh, own some real live IAM, some real servers in a data center that we paid for, and we had to look after them and stroke them and be nice to them. And people made changes that weren't documented, and uh, it's, it's, it's known as the, a, a snowflake. Because it's been it's uh, it's been messed with by humans, and if that ever died, there's no way you could rebuild that to be the same. This is anti-pattern. This is bad news. We don't have that anymore because the cloud. We have ephemeral servers that can last for ten minutes, 10, 10 months, whatever. It doesn't matter, right? If it gets out of line, get another one. It's it's a beautiful thing. It's extremely powerful. So the tool we use to uh, do this is the Chef robot. Chef, we can describe describe our infrastructure as code, similar to what you saw with cucumber describing things in uh, human readable uh, language. We can describe our entire infrastructure in code. Executable infrastructure is a mind blowing thing. Uh, uh, doing doing this, we can push the code. This ties in nicely with the previous model with the Git, with the short branches in Git, uh, GitHub. You know, like here's a new feature. The feature gets merged in. Uh, Ten minutes later, it's live. Right? It used to be the case that um, we have once a month, where in previous places I've worked, uh, deploy day. Everyone comes in early, everything has to be quiesced and shut down, and downtime. It's like going to the dentist, and it shouldn't be. <laughs> <laughs> Doing it this way, the, the problem just goes away. It's uh, astonishing. As soon as somebody clicks merge on the pull requests, the robot just go and do their thing. 10 minutes later, it's live. Right? We've done this on Friday afternoon, right? without any, any terror. <laughs> It's 5.30 on Friday afternoon. Yes, we did. Um, <laughs> you agree that that was still wrong? Though? We felt bad. <laughs> but but, but nothing exploded. Bad. And we knew nothing would explode. Ten we minutes? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Sounds a bit long. We could probably bring that down. We think 10 minutes is reasonable. <laughs> but, you know. It checks every 10 minutes to see what's in it. Yeah. Okay. We did. There's quite a long pipeline of robots that get through. So anyway, yes, and it's all entirely testable, similar to Cucumber, Jane showed you before. I can describe a whole server in a very similar kind of text that we saw before. Given, given these boilerplate setups here, I want these things to be installed. And I, can know, and I know that I can run this every time I can make changes behind the scenes and run this, and it's testable. Testable infrastructure is amazing. Everything is identical, repeatable, and disposable. And if you've got that, you're going to have a good time. The other thing we get the robots to do is, uh, well, I'll go on. She's nice. Um, obviously, when you've got 82 repositories uh, in six months, that's quite a lot of code, and you're not working on all 82 at the same time, so maintaining a lot of those is uh, a pain. 
So we get the robots to do our oh, maintenance, but if we get down, it's a There's a great ecosystem of services that's built up around GitHub, and particularly around Ruby projects and things like that. This is uh, one that we use. This is Code Climate. Um, and whenever we commit a change, uh, this will update itself. And it, it looks at the code. It does a whole load of static analysis across the code. It looks at how good it is, how complex it is, all sorts of things like that. And it gives us a rating like D. <laughs> or this much larger A. <laughs> and a rating out of four. Uh, but it, it lets you know when things have changed, which is great. So it says, when you know, well, yes, this got better, or this got worse, you are a bad person. Um, so that's really nice. Something else just looking at, at that code. But the fantastic thing that it does, um, early this year there was a big vulnerability in Rails. Um, and everybody, well, not everybody, but a whole bunch of people went, oh, no, this is terrible. Rails is, as I said, it's awful. It's going to be terrible. The whole web's going to fall apart. Um, obviously, it hasn't. Uh, and actually, it's been quite reliable since. But knowing about security vulnerabilities that come up is a really good thing. And there's a whole bunch of places you can put them. Um, but Code Climate will find them for you. So again, it does that static analysis and looks for the common patterns of security vulnerabilities and lets you know, which is great. Uh, this is off their website. Obviously, our code has no security vulnerabilities. <laughs> because we fixed them. Um, another similar service that, that sort of does things in the background is the thing called Gem Native, which monitors all of our dependencies. So again, you know, there are security patches that go into all the dependencies we use. And this monitors them and sends us an update once a week saying this has changed and these things should be updated, um, which is good. Uh, it lets you know what projects are, are good, what projects are behind, what projects are, have issues. That's a fork. That's not one of ours. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that's fantastic. But obviously updating all those is a pain because it takes time. So we write a robot again. And this is Bimble. Uh, and Bimble is a great little script. What it does is it looks at a whole selection of repositories, all the ones we've had a look at, and then we set it up once a week. It checks out each of those repositories, runs an update on all the dependencies, and then it's got credentials into GitHub, so it makes a branch in GitHub, and it opens a pull request. So on Wednesday morning, I walk in, and there are 10 pull requests on different repositories saying, all this has changed, these things need to be updated. And it looks like it just it does it for you. And in the background, Jenkins has run all the builds, so it's run all the tests, so we already know that this works. And so I can just go click, 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 click. Ten minutes later, all of our stuff is up to date, which takes so much effort out of looking after. It means that old code doesn't rot, essentially, uh, which is really, really nice. This is all, as, as with everything, it's all open source. You can use anything. Over communication. So, there's supposed to be a tech team blog post every week. Most weeks there's a tech team blog post, uh, which you can see. We write about various things we've done, tools we've found, places we've been. Uh, it's quite nice. Every week we talk about week notes, also describing what we've been up to, what cool things have happened. Uh, it's a nice way for us to, to try and foster some kind of community. It's uh, yeah, keeping in touch. But also, we have a completely open hierarchy channel. We actually we do work in there. Because we're a distributed team, some of the guys in Bristol and Birmingham, Whatever, this is where work happens. Uh, but it's open to anyone. Uh, so you can see there's two people here who are, Chris is over there, and Lee, they don't work at the ODI, but they're having a chat in here and stuff. It's only 
tangentially related to NeoVR. Uh, it's really nice to have this kind of community in here. Uh, we also have a robot in there who can remind us when the stand-ups are happening, it can uh, tell us things are happening on GitHub, it can put pictures of Admiral Akbar. Uh, it's, and once again, he, he will do more in the future, he's still kind of, uh, we're working on him. So, another thing that's part of communication is to, is to, you need to know what's going on across all the systems and across the API, and of course we want all that to be open as well. So one of the first things we did when we turned up was we built uh, a dashboard. This is our tech team dashboard. Again, it's public. You can go and look at it, and you can see exactly what's going on. You know, we've had other people tell us that a build's failed because we haven't written our email, but they've seen it. Um, this turns into various amusing fail pictures uh, when that happens. Um, but you know, there's some important stats around here that we want to, to track in terms of our engagement. So who's looking at what we're doing, how many repositories we've got, 54, that was a while ago, this is quite an old picture. How many things are we contributing back out? One of the main things we want to do is make sure that we keep sending stuff back out to other projects, that's one of our main metrics. So keeping on all that, and, and we have this up on the screen over there, which you'd be able to see if Luke hadn't moved the power cable. <laughs> but it's public, it's online, you can go have a look. Um, so that's something we've tried. We're now trying to roll out that approach across the rest of the organization. So this is uh, a training dashboard, which Catherine uses all the time, I imagine, <laughs> um, to find out what's going on in, uh, in the world of training. So at dashboards.theabi.org, you can go and look at this, and you can see what are, how many people are in the lectures, what courses are coming up, and so on. This is using a system called Dashing, which is pure Ruby dashboard thing, rather than a hosted we want to bring our dashboard into this system, and then there'll be more and more ODI dashboards in this as we go forward. We want to get a lot of the information that's within here publicly visible, because all about the openness. And so, all of this stuff, working in the open, uh, publishing all of our code, sharing everything, leads to some remarkable things. Not that one, I put it on the slide. Yeah, <laughs> keep doing that. Uh, this is uh, some issues on the uh, Open Data Certificate project, and somebody who works with OPI, and then, I'm sorry, please. We need a Russian translation. This was completely unprompted. He spontaneously turned up. He found out about us, found out what we were doing. We need a Russian translation. Before the Open Data Certificate was Yeah, yeah, I don't know how he got here. But anyway, he found it. And here's, here's a pull request, right? This guy would like to help us to translate it into Russian. And this, this just arose organically because we work in the open. Uh, it, it's lovely, this kind of thing. And I don't know how you do it if you weren't completely open. So, essentially working in the open brings us a whole load of benefits. It stops us cutting corners, because other people can see our code, so you've got to try and be a little bit better, and catches more mistakes, because that, that, sort of that code review process, that open review is, is anyone can see it, so you know, you're, you're more careful. And that's it helps us find collaborators, both um, through things like the IRC channel, through collaborating with the startups that are here, and through randomly through GitHub. And it makes it so much easier to give something back because everything's open in the first place. I remember working in places where it's like, can I send a pull request up to here? Because it's a pull request. It's like, thanks, do it. So it's fun. It's, it's great being here. It's weird when we're not now. It feels very strange. And as Sam said in his first blog post, 
being opened by default is exhilarating. But I suspect that string or cricket match is exhilarating too. And sometimes it does feel a little like we're running around naked. I don't think we feel that quite so much now. I think we're getting no, used to being naked. It does now feel weird when we go back to the internet. Yeah. Closed or closed? <laughs> oh, well, that other thing. Closed. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> You've been listening to a Friday lunchtime lecture brought to you by the Open Data Institute.